Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. Today I feel quite giddy because this episode that I've just recorded, that you're just about to listen to, is probably one of my most enjoyable ones so far on the history of the podcast. And I think that's a lot to do with the charisma and the, the humour and the playfulness of my guest today, Shama Shalidina. So I really hope that you can enjoy this one because rather than being preachy about the benefits of mindfulness, and don't you worry, we're going to talk about why it's helpful for you to meditate and, and use mindfulness in your everyday life. But we're also going to really think about um, how to make this accessible, how you can start small, how you can build a practice that works for you rather than being dogmatic and caught up in shoulds or rules around this kind of practice. So regardless if you are a beginner and you never tried mindfulness or meditation before, or if you're a seasoned practitioner and you actually find yourself sometimes drifting away from your practice, this episode is for you. Shamash will explain to you why it's helpful to meditate, why we don't do it, how he himself has drifted away in the past and what helped him to come into a regular practice that fitted for him and his values. We're also going to think a little bit about purpose and meaning and playfulness. In short, you're going to learn the definition of mindfulness, what different activities you can do in one second or one minute every day and how to take the pressure off yourself to get your meditation to be perfect. So let's dive in. Let me start by introducing my guest today. Shama Shalina is the author of 10 different books, including Mindfulness for Dummies. He's a mindfulness teacher, trainer and act coach and loves the combination of mindfulness, kindfulness and playfulness. So let's get started. And do me a favour. Let's see if you can use this episode, this podcast recording, as a chance to practice mindfulness. Put some other stuff down, listen to this if you can, and if you're out walking, try to really focus on one foot in front of the other as you're listening to the tone of my voice and to the voice of Shamash Aladina. Let's get going. I'm so pleased to have you here, Shamash. I'm so, so glad to talk to someone who's equally passionate about mindfulness. But I'm also going to ask you some tricky questions today, so I hope that we can have a little sense of humor around it and just see where this conversation takes us. So welcome so much to the Pause Purpose Play podcast. Thank you so much. I love uh, fun and tricky questions, so I'm excited about this already. Good, good. Well, I don't mean to put any, anyone on the spot, but I know that there are a lot of listeners here who feel drawn towards the concept of mindfulness, but also really put off by it. I'm almost feeling like here's another should mm. or another thing I have to do. So we hope to be able to kind of debunk some of the myths and find some accessible ways of entering into meditation and mindfulness and that's obviously why you're here as an expert on that topic itself so tell us a little bit about your story you know whatever you feel like you want to share with the audience that makes you seem a little bit more human than just sort of a <laughs> mindfulness expert so tell us some nice nuggets 
Well, I was born meditating as soon as I came out of the womb. That's what I thought. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> I um, I was not really into mindfulness or meditation at all. I was um, perhaps like many of your audience, very much forward thinking and planning, trying to be successful right from quite an early age. Uh, you know, I was trying to decide, should I become a neurosurgeon or a rocket scientist or <laughs> something like that? So I was very much not in the moment at all. Uh, and I was quite good at school. And so I built up my ego, my sense of identity on my academic success. And that worked well at school. But then when I went to uh, university, uh, there were people from all over the world that came in. I, I chose a subject engineering just on the basis of, oh, that would make me some good money and I could make a good income. So wasn't thinking any any deeper than just make as much money as possible, actually. And so I went to university and then my ego started to get the first few punches, I guess, because uh, I wasn't top of the class anymore. There were people that were much smarter than me and that was probably really good for me. But I was still working as hard as possible, trying to get the grades good so that I could be able to get a, a good a high quality job. Anyway, halfway through my university... I went to a uh, engineering firm and I found it so boring. Um, I'm sure some of you have had this experience where you're sitting in an office and it's just so boring and repetitive. wasn't enjoying it at all, but I was getting paid quite well. So I thought, oh, that will obviously make me happy. And then I remember actually going on Oxford Street in London and spending all this cash and just having this feeling of emptiness. And I thought, whoa, something is definitely missing, but I don't know what. Uh, and I didn't know what to do. And so I just had happened to be on the, the London Underground and I saw a poster for a philosophy class. And I thought, philosophy, practical philosophy, that looks like the complete opposite of chemical engineering. <laughs> Let me try that. Maybe that's the answer to my problems. And luckily, by great fortune, it was. And, you know, I'm still into what I learned on that first day in that class. Because the teacher said, we've all got these different levels of awareness. When we're sleeping, we've got low levels of awareness. When we wake up, we've got this kind of half awake, half asleep state, which you see on the on the underground and in central London. But then there's certain exercises you can do. And if you do them, they can just take a few minutes or longer. They can actually raise your level of awareness. And so you live more fully and you become more present and life becomes more enjoyable. And life is more about being in the here and now. Your happiness can come in the present rather than the future. And this was just like a whole new experience and idea for me. Uh, so I did this you know, few minutes exercise where we connected with our senses. But after we connected with our senses, they told me that, you know, notice your thoughts and then notice that you're watching the thoughts. So you are not the thoughts. Notice the feelings. Notice you're watching the feelings. So you're not the feelings. You're that observer, which is beyond the thoughts, beyond the emotions. And no one can touch you there. There's a space of peace and calm and things like that. And I actually touched, just by luck, I touched a little bit into that that feeling, that sense of being beyond thoughts and, and feelings. And I just loved it so much. So that was aged, uh, you know, 19 or 20 or something. And I just wanted everyone to learn about this. I thought I was so old. I'm like, oh my God, um, this is almost too late. I'm learning this at age 20. <laughs> I wish I'd learned this when I was younger. But actually, um, I wasn't too old, actually. So I went, I became a school teacher where all the children do this kind of thing, uh, philosophy and meditation and mindfulness. And I was a school teacher there for 10 years. And then I ended up writing this book called Mindfulness for Dummies. And then I became a full-time mindfulness teacher. And so for the last 11 years, so this is the first year where it's been, you know, 10 years teaching children, now 11 years teaching adults. 
just training mindfulness teachers and also teaching th- something called kindfulness and act. So all of these things, but they're all based, they all come back to that, to that one moment I was really fortunate about. And it hasn't been smooth sailing, you know, there's been lots of challenges along the way, but what stays uh, constant and present is that, is that insight that I had in that class. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm. There's so much to reflect on there. That's partly kind of realizing that dissonance that was coming in your life, the kind of the gap between what you thought was important and how how you were acting, you know, what you were pursuing in your life as a you know, 19, 20 something, going for those jobs, thinking that that would be fulfilling. And it turns out it felt not fulfilling, it felt empty. So I think that's part of where we realize acting with line with our purpose and line with our values is so important, which I know that you're obviously passionate about act as in acceptance and commitment therapy as well, which is very much about doing mm. what matters and acting in line with our values. So I think I want to I want to ask you more about that later on in our chat today. But it's almost like realizing that what was meaningful to you was the polar opposite to what you thought was going to be meaningful. You're thinking that's the career route I should have, the achievements that would be helpful for me, you know, getting the money and then just realizing that, that wasn't what made you tick. I think that's a journey that I help a lot of people do way, way later in their lives. And so ways. It's almost fortunate and lucky that you came to that realization already when you just turned 20, whereas a lot of people don't come to that until midlife, uh, in my experience Mm. of being in the wrong careers or feeling unfulfilled and having pursued things for the sake of the achievement uh, rather than necessary for the, you know, sake of their values. So really powerful story of how you're, you've kind of angled your way forward in different kinds of areas and done meaningful things. So I wonder if we just strip it right back for a moment, just thinking of explaining this to people what is meditation and what's the difference between that and and mindfulness can you explain that because a lot of people get confused by these terms yeah it's good to it's good to separate those two uh, ideas mindfulness and meditation so first of all let's start with mindfulness because uh, it's easier actually (laughs) so mindfulness uh, at simplest is just about being present right now if whoever's on the other side of this uh, listening to my words if you're actually managing to listen to what I'm saying, you've already got a level of mindfulness there. You're, you're already mindful to a certain extent. And if your mind is wandering off and you notice it and you bring your attention back, that's, a, that's an act of mindfulness too. So mindfulness is very much about being present. And what the researchers found is that half of the time, 47% of the times on average, our minds go to the past and the future. And maybe some people would have guessed that. But some people on average, you know, their mind wanders off 60%, 70%, 80% of the time. So imagine that. Imagine if three quarters of your life, you're thinking about what's already happened or what's going to happen. <laughs> so there isn't much space there to actually be present to what's actually happening in the here and now. But what it turns out is that the more present people are, the more happy they are. There's a famous kind of a Harvard paper, which was titled, A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind. So the more our minds naturally wander off to past and future, the more unfortunately unhappy we tend to be. Because when our minds wander off, it doesn't go to, oh, it's so wonderful that I've got running water. I'm just so grateful that I've got a roof over my head. Even though it's cold outside, I'm so fortunate that I've got a a job that I can go back to. Uh, Even though we're in the midst of a challenging times right now, we're so fortunate with the quality of medicine. It always goes to all the things that have gone wrong. Like, I can't believe that I stubbed my toe or I can't believe she said that or he said that and all these kinds of things. So mindfulness, first of all, it teaches us that there's actually a way of being a bit more present. 
And if we can be a bit more present, we can be a bit more happier, a bit more creative. And actually, where is our past created? And where is our future created? It's created in the present moment. People think that, oh, let me just do lots of planning and then I'll have this fantastic future. But, you know, as the as the famous saying goes, tomorrow never comes. It's about the here and now. If we can live the here and now as fully as we can and richly as we can, then we create a better future for ourselves and also a more positive past in a sense. So first of all, it's about being present. But it's not just about being present because of, you know, let's say I was someone who wanted to rob a bank and I was very, very in the present moment. I was very clever in the way I managed to, you know, get in and break into the safe and take all the money. You wouldn't say, oh, that Shamash guy, the way he robbed that that bank, it was just so mindful the way he did that. We don't associate the mindfulness with, with that. It needs to have certain attitudes or qualities. And the four that I emphasize is kindness or kindfulness. So being kind to ourselves and others. And there's the skill you can learn. Curiosity. So being interested in what's going on around you and also particularly even your difficult feelings, difficult thoughts, difficult sensations. Can you be curious about them? You're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm feeling anxious right now. Where am I feeling it? Curiosity, it's powerful. The third one, people don't like this, but actually the more you can cultivate this skill, it's very, very, very powerful and very freeing. And that is acceptance. So important. They sometimes call it an acceptance-based approach when they talk about mindfulness. And then the fourth one, which uh, people don't talk about so much, is really important as well, is this ability to step back, see things from a different perspective or from a bigger perspective. And that, that's a link to that observer thing that I was talking about. If anyone's read The Power of Now, being the observer of your thoughts and feelings. So that's mindfulness in, a, in a, explained in a long way. It's about being present with these qualities. And meditation is when you take the time to cultivate mindfulness. So it's a bit like, like, you know, we want to become fitter. And one way of becoming fitter is you can actually go to the gym. If you go to the gym and you, and, and you run or you do some weights and stuff, that can actually make you fitter. But then also you can become fitter by just walking around. That actually is good for our health as well. And all the physical activity you do every day in your daily life, that, that natural movement actually becomes, helps you too. And if you don't walk or do any movement at all, that's not good. And so mindfulness is the everyday activity to be present, like right now. If you can manage to stay present with what I'm sh- what I'm, I'm sharing, noticing with kindness, with curiosity or acceptance or openness, that's you being mindful. The meditations you'd stop maybe for a minute, a few minutes, all the way up to long periods of time where you're just focusing on being present and nothing else, uh, or cultivating these mindful qualities. So there's a difference between the two, and you you need to choose what's what's right for you. Like I'm not I'm not forcing people upon one one approach or the other. You can just be more mindful in very, very, very simple ways. And I'll share some of those maybe later on. But yeah, that, that's the difference in a, not, not in a short way, but hopefully that helps to expand on it a bit more. Well, it's not always the shortest answer that is the most helpful one that, you know, I think people can Google what is mindfulness and come to quite a, an academic definition of, of, you know, paying attention to the present moment non-judgmentally. And and what does that even mean? I mean, like, yes, I get that that's a <laughs> definition that works for us, you know, for academics or practitioners. But I think you explained mm. it in a way that makes sense for people who are living life every day and thinking, actually, if I can pay attention to this guy talking, yes, that is me being mindful, but also being mindful of when I've stopped paying attention, when I've drifted away. And I guess coming back to your example of your, your journey into meditation and mindfulness and philosophy, 
of actually there was that moment where you were tuning in. I often like that word of tuning in to what's happening right now. You were tuning in to feeling, you know, discontent, tuning into feeling dissatisfied with your career path, and then noticing that poster and thinking, ah, that could be something. So I guess that's an example of you being mindful in that moment of what was going on for you internally in your inner world and also what was going on outside your external kind of outer world. And I think that's really helpful for people who just think that mindfulness or meditation means that you just have to do seated kind of guided meditations, eyes closed, feet planted on the floor, that there are plenty of those available and they're lovely and there's a benefit to that. So I just wanted to see if you could explain in a little bit what the benefits are to when we do those kind of more formal meditations and also later on give some examples of the more informal ones that the everyday mindful activities so people can almost have like a buffet and choose what works for you. So if we come <laughs> back to that sense of why do seated meditations, why meditate, why, why is that helpful for us? Yeah, so if, if we think about meditation uh, for, for a moment and the benefits of it, perhaps I can go through the different elements of our being. So first of all, we could start with our physical body. So our muscles can get quite tense and tight actually through our day as we try to achieve our goals all day. And so if you take some time for meditation, it actually gives a chance for your muscles to ease a little bit. And all that energy, so if you're feeling that you're lacking in energy, a lot of that energy, imagine if a, if a muscle is tense all day, it's burning energy. And so the muscles uh, over time start to release a little bit. And so that's one of the benefits. It boosts your immune system. They did a nice research quite a few years ago where they actually gave half a group of people the flu. Uh, they, they gave both sides a, a flu, but one, one, one group weren't doing any meditation, the other group were. The ones that were meditating had a much stronger immune response and they recovered faster from that little jab that they had. So it, it shows that it strengthens our immune system. It actually slows the rate of aging. This is an amazing example of the mind actually impacting our physical genes. Our genes have got a little cap at the end and they think that aging is the process of that cap wearing out. And in fact, one of the scientists won a Nobel Prize for this. And what they've found is through doing uh, mindfulness meditation, probably other forms of meditation too, the rate at which those caps wear out slows down. And so you might notice when people are doing quite a lot of meditation, their face actually looks a little bit younger, their skin looks better, and they actually literally kind of slow down the rate at which they age because of their, their meditation practice, which is amazing on a physical level. Uh, it also has a very positive impact on a thing which a lot of uh, these modern watches can measure, heart rate variability, it's called. And they didn't really think it was so easy to, to affect or impact that, but they found that uh, meditation has a positive impact on that and blood pressure. Uh, it helps with digestion because of when we're stressed, our digestive system gets challenged. There's a physical benefits, there's many more. There's a few there. Mentally, it naturally helps us to be a bit more focused. Uh, mindfulness is not the same as concentration, actually. When you're concentrating, you're putting a lot of effort in. Mindfulness is a practice of letting go, and meditation is a practice of letting go. You're letting go of what's unhelpful, which usually is too much thinking about past or the future. And as you let go, you become more present. And so it's just easier for you to be more focused and present. So people who have um, ADHD, where it's hard for them to focus, doing bits of Mind meditation, mindfulness really helps them. But it helps all of us because we've all got a certain level of ADHD right now. Uh, so it helps us to be more focused. It helps us to be more creative because you can see things from a bigger picture. You can step back from things and it, and it creates a more flexible way of thinking. So that's another way it's mentally good for us. Increases emotional intelligence. A lot of people have heard of that term. 
And people find that when they're doing mindfulness, they are able to relate to their friends and family and co-workers in a more effective way. Because if they notice their own feelings earlier, they notice other people's feelings through their facial expression a little bit earlier. And so they don't snap at them so quickly. They don't get irritated so or angry so easily. And that's good for our relationships, isn't it? Rather than just getting angry and irritated all the time. I think there's, there's some of the kind of the key things. There's also, you could even talk about some of the spiritual benefits of it uh, for people who have that kind of belief, that sense of connecting to something higher or connecting deeper to themselves. I've seen research on how it reduces the sense of loneliness for us because we feel more connected within ourselves and so we feel more connected with the people around us too so yeah there's a little taste of some mm. of the many benefits of mindfulness yeah and they're quite, quite global areas as well you know it's mentally physically emotionally spiritually uh, relationally mm. there's there's a lot of different angles of where that's good for us so i think obviously you're preaching to the converted here as i'm a mindfulness <laughs> practitioner myself but i think it's really helpful to hear that explained of Yes, there's a real business case for this, actually. You know, if people who find themselves um, kind of caught up in in thoughts like, I just don't have the time or I'm too busy, I, I can't fit that into my life, which is probably the most common resistance or objection I hear from my clients and, and from friends and family as well. Even though we kind of know, logically, there's been enough written about this in the media now, there's enough buzzword around the kind of mindfulness that we know that's good for us, but still... We resist it. I wonder, what would you say to people to say, I just don't have the time for it. I can't fit it in. I'm too busy. Okay, this is great. I'm glad you've asked this. So uh, there's actually a concept called the information action fallacy. And this is the idea. And what they've found is that when you tell someone about all the benefits of something, it doesn't actually lead them to do it. And uh, they did this nice research on where they actually took two groups of people. <laughs> One group, they actually told them about all the benefits of physical exercise and that all the good things that happen from it. And the other group, they actually just coached them to actually start taking a small initial action. And the other group, you know, did way, way, way better. So by and, and the group that they told them all the benefits of it, they actually did even less exercise than normal. So uh, we have this idea in our society that the more information and benefits we read or hear about something, it will actually motivate us to do it. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, what I've discovered through you know, studying behavior change is that we just need to learn to take tiny, tiny actions that move us towards whatever we want to do. So let's say if you want to do mindfulness, you can actually start with one mindful breath. You could just, you know, as I'm speaking right now, you could take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and smile that you've consciously felt a breath. And you've actually began that, that process. You've started the step towards practicing mindfulness more. And, you know, I could give some more ideas and tips and techniques about when to do that and how to do that. But it's think of it like you're planting a seed. So you're planting a seed of mindfulness because, not because you have to, not because you should, as you said earlier, but because there's something about it that you're attracted to. You think, actually, no, I want to give this a go. I want to try this. I'm not going to force myself too much, but a little bit of mindfulness in my life, that's something that I want to do. So if you want to do it, so plant the seed and start really small. I would say don't start with even a few minutes or five or 10 minutes. Start with the one breath or three breaths and let it naturally grow. Just like a seed, you water it. It doesn't instantly become a tree. It takes time. It takes that regular drop by drop by drop of water and sunshine and fresh air and it naturally grows to whatever length it's supposed to grow. And for each person, I feel there's a different level of practice and a different type of practice that's right for them. 
And so, so water your seed and mindfulness within you. And you can start from as, as little as just one mindful breath, which everyone has time for. And then you can build it up more from there if you want to. So it's not something you have to force yourself to do. I found that that was really helpful for me personally when I kept uh, dropping off uh, meditation. I could tell you a bit more about that. And uh, I found that it's a sense of relief. A lot of people have this sense of relief like, oh my God, I don't have to do hours of meditation. I can just start small and build out from there. Mm. So yeah, that's my little tip there. I think that's really helpful to know because I mean, as, as a practitioner, I think lots of people who listen to this who have had a regular practice get that sense of guilt or almost like that failure story that grabs us when we realize that we drifted away from the practice and we don't do the 20 minutes a day or even, you know, the the concept I was first sold when I was introduced to mindfulness was that I had to do 45 minutes a day. And I was given a, mm. a John Kabat-Zinn book, uh, and, which was a dome, um, and I was sort of 22-something. And naturally, I drifted and avoided uh, kind of formal seated meditations for years. And I always had that underpinning sense of, oh, maybe I'm not quite doing mindfulness or meditations because I'm not doing the one hour a day. And especially as a, as a mother of a, of a small child, it's really difficult to fit that in. But what I keep coming back to is that my breath practice, you know, my soothing breathing rhythm, that obviously that's more from compassion focused therapy, but it's obviously with underpinnings and mindfulness. And that's, that's why I showed you that coaster as we began, that just says breathe on my coaster. So whenever I'm <laughs> sitting there, or even at work, and when you said, just taking a deep breath and then release it and smile, I did exactly that. And we, we know that even actually one minute of taking some deep breaths or of six minutes, six breaths or something per minute makes a big difference to our parasympathetic nervous system, like the the soothing system. So that's where I always come in. So if I can't do those highbrow things, if I can't do the bigger things, I come back to the breath. So it's just doing what you can. It's a helpful mantra that I that I talk to my high striving clients and just kind of come into it that way. Because um, one of the most common things I hear are people sort of feeling like they're failing their run streak on Headspace uh, or you know on the app Headspace or feeling like I've, I've not done it now for three days straight, so I better not kind of continue because I've lost the, uh, lost the regularity or not done it for mm. three weeks. So what are your best tips for people who feel like they've drifted away from a practice, however, however long or however much that was? What are your tips for getting back to something kindly and gently? So the first thing is that uh, I've discovered that streaks are not actually helpful for everyone. No. Um, because if, if, we, if we're counting our streaks, if it's working well, great. But if something happens in life, which is inevitably going to do, and then suddenly you see that, oh, I'm not managing to keep up with that streak that I had before, the sense of failure is much more likely to come in. So I wouldn't actually recommend using streaks as a way of measuring uh, how well or not well you're doing mindfulness. It's not, it's not about, it's not, you don't have to be so competitive with yourself. So if that doesn't work for you, which I would say for majority of people rather than the minority, it probably wouldn't. Don't focus from that side of things. Now, what, what happened to me is that even though you know, I've written all these books, I've written literally 10 books on mindfulness and I'm a big advocate of it. But what I found is that I was able to meditate for a while and really loving it. But then something would happen. I would wake up with a really big, bad headache or feeling really tired and I wouldn't do the meditation that day. And then the next day I wouldn't, really wouldn't feel like it. And the next day I wouldn't feel like it. And then, as you said, I'd start feeling guilty that I'm not doing it. And then feel like a failure. And then a few weeks would go by and then I'd get back into it. And that happened for uh, maybe 10, 15 years, actually. <laughs> Didn't, couldn't really consistently do it. And then I decided, 
somehow I, I think I saw some research by BJ Fogg on Tiny Habits and I did, or maybe I had that personal insight. I'm not sure what it was, but I decided that what about if my meditation is just one mindful breath? And then if I want to do more after that, I can. For me, when I really don't feel like it, my motivation for it can be so low that even one minute is too much for me. Uh, maybe three breaths, but I know that one breath is something I can always do. So I used to wake up in the morning and just take one deep breath in, hold it for a few seconds and breathe out and feel my out breath. And that would always make me smile, actually. And I would say, no, I'm going to do some more. And so I did do some more. But I celebrated the one breath that I did. Now, when you celebrate, when you feel, when I, when I say celebrate, feel good and, and smile or however you celebrate when something good happens, it releases uh, dopamine into your brain and it creates an emotion which has been recently named as shine, the feeling of shine. And it's the feeling of success you get when you do something and you feel successful about it. And this is what actually wires the habit. And this is why I'm emphasizing not to do long meditations, which you don't enjoy, because of if you don't enjoy uh, an activity, then dopamine will definitely not be released in your brain in that moment. And so the, the habit will definitely not wire and you won't even think about doing it. So just do the very, very tiny, think less than 30 seconds. Think about what moment in your routine you want to do it, whether it's waking up in the morning or after you sit down on your office chair. Like think of a very specific moment. The more specific, the better. And do that little 30 second mindfulness, whatever is for you, and celebrate with a smile or say yes to yourself or go me or celebrate in some way. And that will help to start to wire the habit. And then it can grow from there. It becomes that seed that you're watering. And you're watering it with that sense of celebration, that sense of self-compassion, and it grows. So that's what I would suggest for that. I love that. And I think that kind of one deep breath and feeling that sense of, I guess, sort of meaningfulness, this feels good. I, I usually talk about that as this is kind of nice feeling. It's not that big revolutionizing kind of broadcasted on the 10 o'clock news kind of feeling but just sort of <laughs> ah this is kind of good and that's I, I often talk to clients about starting the day just wiggling your toes on uh, around on your bed sheets just kind of snuggling your bed sheets with your toes a bit and having that as a mm. mindful moment where you just oh this feels kind of nice they're soft that's a good idea and that in that moment you've been mindful because it's a kind of body connected thing as well a lot of people can get really hung up on the breath of counting them and how many in and how many out through the nose or through the mouth and it's I mean it gets really <laughs> overcomplicated um, and as you can see obviously I work with the, like I said to you earlier I work with a lot of people who put pressure on themselves to be perfect and get very rule governed and caught up in shoulds so the simpler the, the instruction can be um, the, the easier it is kind of to let go and just be really present in it without you know at the same time we have to notice our brain giving us thoughts around are you doing it wrong we're supposed to feel this way or why aren't you getting that feeling or you know it's, it's all of that stuff there's sort of more stuff to notice I guess more stuff to observe so I guess mm. for, for people who are the high striving kind of slightly should based person who want to tick stuff off or he would probably we get provoked by the run streak in an app. Um, how would you think about that? I mean, because I'm aware of studies showing that people with with perfectionism, for instance, might struggle with mindfulness as not allowing themselves to slow down or reduce busyness, uh, even though they would really benefit from doing so. What are your thoughts around mindfulness and, and kind of perfectionism or high striving? Hmm. Um, well, I think 
like I said, because each person needs to find the practice that's right for them. If, if uh, let's say, if I was very much perfectionist and I was really striving and I wanted to do mindfulness perfect, perf- uh, perfectly, then the first thing to realize is that that's just not going to work. If, if I try to do it perfectly, the very act of mindfulness is about embracing imperfections in a way. I love looking at trees because if you look at a tree, and I'm looking at a tree right now outside my window, and the the trunk is not perfectly straight and the branches are all over the place and the twigs are in all different angles. And so it's imperfect, but there's a beauty in that imperfection. If you imagine a, a plantation with all the trees exactly straight and all the branches exactly straight, it, it's actually not attractive at all. There's a beauty in the imperfection. And so it's about starting to notice that. I would say start looking at nature, start looking at uh, animals and plants and people around you and notice how they're imperfect and then there's a beauty in that imperfection and so see if you can start to bring that energy of embracing the imperfection within yourself one thing that some people find perfectionists that i found uh, helps is um, trying to do things 80 percent to completion or doing 80 percent well rather than 100 percent. some people find that that helpful so there's some of the things kind of that come to mind. The other thing is that if you're very busy and you feel you don't have time for mindfulness or even the breath, <laughs> then you can bring mindfulness into your everyday activities. When you're washing the dishes, see if you can be really present and really feel the water and the bubbles and feel feel the contact between the sponge and the plate, things like that. Or if you're going for a walk, feel the breeze. Or if you're if you're high striving, maybe you're not walking, you're running. <laughs> so as you're running, feel the breeze against your face. Notice the, the clouds in the sky. Just start to notice little things around you and let the mindfulness gradually grow from there. Mm. So there, there are a few insights that come to mind. It's really helpful because there are things we're already doing. And I guess you're kind of talking about habit building or behavior change that building on what's already there in your life can be really helpful. Obviously, hopefully, we're already brushing our teeth. So doing that mindfully it might take you a little bit longer simply by trying to really pay attention to the smells and the taste of the toothpaste. And it might, but actually your dentist might thank you for it because it might mean that you do the full two minutes of the brushing rather than doing for 30 seconds. So there's something <laughs> there about slowing down our pace and then building on, on our everyday activities and making them ever so slightly more mindful. It shouldn't take you much longer. It's just a slightly different way of tuning in to what's already there. So they're great tips. I really love those because that means people can action them right here right now no course needed just go home and you know i often say go home and watch the kettle boil that's quite a nice one and without multitasking <laughs> nice. resisting that urge yeah. to be like do, i don't know we all have done that haven't we be like i'm just gonna pop the kettle on and whilst that's cooking whilst that boiling i'll just do this other thing or whilst i put this in the microwave i'm just gonna go and run this and actually just doing one thing at mm. a time rather than switching your attention between tasks back and forth can be also a nicer way to just give yourself a, a mindful break or that moment where going to do one thing at a time first make the cup of tea and then I'll go and do this other thing that I'm intending to do so they're great tips that people can take away in action and I guess you know you mentioned earlier you alluded a little bit to when when you drift away from mindfulness yourself or when you know when you when you've had these kind of patterns or cycles for a decade of maybe doing it for a bit and then drifting away and then coming back again has there been anything tech-wise that's helped you in that journey or was it more of that kind of internal almost like intrinsic motivation to choose something for yourself to do something kind for yourself or was it something that helped you like any apps or videos or audio downloads anything that people can go and explore as a little tool or aid in their journey 
Yeah, on my uh, on my iPhone, there's a button on the right hand side. It's the off button. <laughs> when I press that, <laughs> that's a really powerful one. Um, no, there's a there's an app actually called that's actually really helped me. It's, a, it's called the Self Control app, and I think it's a, it's totally available for free. I use it on my Mac computer, and that's helped me to write many of my books because of um, you write down all the websites you don't want to look at, like you know all your emails and social media and all that. And you can choose the amount of hours you want it blocked so it could be even three or four hours or two hours whatever and then even if you restart your computer you can't check it there's just no way there's no way of checking it you you have to just throw the computer away or you just or you just have to wait for that time to finish before you can check those websites and i actually found that really helpful for my focus and productivity so that's probably one of my favorite apps the self-control app because if uh, you can't you can't get back into all those websites that are have you know some of the top psychologists in the world designing them to make them as addictive as possible and they are getting more and more addictive so we need to fight back in a way and one way to fight back is uh, mindfulness practice and the other way is uh, is apps that can help uh, block them or switch them off another thing i think i'm thinking of buying is actually you can get these plastic containers with a timer and you put your phone in and you set the timer and you can't get your your gadget out until the time is finished and uh, I think I might even try that actually. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has tried it out there, but that could work too. I've heard of that. It's almost like obviously you put your phone in a safe almost and you can't get into it. Yeah. I think I've heard of those and, and I've used the the forest app myself that, that oh, yes, just blocks yes, everything. I've tried that. And it's quite nice from that point of view where you mentioned about trees because you, you're growing a little bush or a tree. So, you, so <laughs> if you drift away from it, if you check something, it just says your, your tree is about to die. And you go, no, no, not the tree. <laughs> and then you just go back again. So um, so there's different ways. And I think they plant that. real trees as well. They I do. Think, if you, yeah. if you're, so so it's, uh, it's not just an app. Yeah, no, it does help with deforestation projects or all uh, different areas of the world. So that can sort of fit with your, yeah. uh, align with your values as well. So, that's one that I've used, but I've not heard of the uh, the self-control app, so we'll definitely check that out. I mean, I got through university by simply unplugging the Ethernet cable in my computer, so I couldn't use All it. Right. That was before Wi-Fi. That's how old I am. Like, there was no Wi-Fi at All that right. point. Um, or going to the public library where there was no Wi-Fi, you could not check anything on your phone. I didn't. There was no 3G. So just taking myself away from distractions, because like you said, you know, 47, 50, 60% of the time we're, we're going somewhere else in our mind. And it's really hard in today's modern society where we are so digitally distracted to actually stay mm. mindful and focused on what we're doing. So it's almost like helping your brain along a little bit by blocking out some of these distractions can, can really be helpful. So those are great tips. I'll put that in the show notes for people as well so you can have a look at these, these applications. Kind of, kind of drawing things to to an end almost. I want to connect with what obviously the theme of the, the podcast is called Pause, Purpose, Play. And I, I feel we talked a lot about different ways to pause and finding pockets of pausing that aren't, you know, big, massive 30-minute meditations, but little things here and there where you can find a mindful moment. But what about purpose? How does that fit with mindfulness? You know, why, why is it important that we connect with our purpose? Well, purpose is what gives us deep motivation. It gives us drive. It gives us resilience. So when we're going through difficulties and challenges, if we're a little bit clearer on our purpose and, and to be specific, our values, it can really make a difference. People talk a lot about meaning and purpose, but actually it comes down, I believe, uh, and according to research on ACT, on values. So what our values are. So my values are, of course, mindfulness, but also being kind to myself and others, kindfulness, and also playfulness. Maybe it's quite similar to some of the values you've got here. So if, I, if I'm if i kind of involving that with what I'm doing, 
it makes it more enjoyable, I feel more engaged, and it makes my life meaningful. So really, really important to think about what gives us purpose and meaning, what gives what, what our values are, and then thinking about how we can sneakily bring those values into everything that we do, everything from, you know, doing your accounts or something that's really, really boring or exercising, all the way to, you know, work that you enjoy. And, and it can help you to make decisions in your life as well about where you want to spend your time if you're clearer about what your values are. So purpose is really important. In mindful classes, they don't really talk about it so much. But uh, if you look into ACT and coaching and other areas like that, they realize the importance of uh, knowing what our values are. The other nice thing is that it's a direction. It's like a compass. It gives you a direction. It's not something you achieve. You can't get to kindness or you can't get to uh, playfulness. It's a, it's something. It's a direction you go through for the rest of your life. So it's not a goal you need to achieve, but it's a way of living. And so you can, using mindfulness together with whatever your values are is really a wonderful way to live your life, I, I believe. Mm, yes, I guess it's a combination there of if we're not paying attention to what we think is matters, then it's really hard to actually act in line with our values as well. So they go hand in hand to be mindful of, mm. of everything that's going on within you and then choosing how to manifest that in the world around you, you know, making choices, moving direction of what matters to you. So I think that's that's really helpful definition of how we can understand values and purpose and meaning and, and why that matters to us. Obviously, that without that, it's really difficult to feel motivated to do anything if we don't have a direction to wander in. And you mentioned the word there, playfulness. And obviously, um, I want to hear a bit more about that. How, how do you play? What is playfulness to you? Well, I think like like today, this conversation, so I feel has been quite playful and fun and relaxed and, and kind of going with the flow. And I, it just naturally comes to me like being playful and, you know, I've even done some training in laughter yoga and, and you know, I was talking to someone about acting and improv the other day and I'm interested in that. And every week we have, uh, we do a thing called Mindful Play Shops. It's like a free class that I, I offer every week on a Saturday morning during the pandemic where we just come together and do fun things like we were doing some mindful origami Last week, the week before, we were doing some mindful doodling using our, our felted pens and stuff. So just doing creative activities, fun activities uh, that engage our senses and bring us in the moment. And so when we're playful, we are naturally mindful and we're letting go. And so it's a really, really important uh, quality. I saw a fantastic talk by, I think his name is Dr. Stuart Brown. He's a world expert on play. And he says the opposite of play is not work the opposite of play is depression something along those lines yes i've seen uh, that one have you seen that one yeah, yeah. it's really good and so when we stop being playful we start engaging with our lives and are much more likely to get into into struggles and, and conflict within ourselves and with our emotions and get caught up a bit too much uh, so it's really important quality and it's different for different people some people are kind of extrovert playful some people are more you know just quietly creative and so it's about finding what's right for you but I think I believe everyone needs to have this element of creativeness lightheartedness and, and playfulness and it's a skill that we can learn and grow and develop and again you can use the same small approach way that I was talking about earlier and it's a nice it's a fun way to be mindful actually like if you can find something some activity that you really enjoy you're being mindful you're being in the moment and you're, and you're having fun as well so um, it's a win-win absolutely win-win it's like a double whammy because not only is it maybe <laughs> giving you a break you know actually taking a break before you break is often how i talk about it 
So actually giving yourself a pause, but also connecting with playfulness. You get all that dopamine, you get serotonin, you get kind of an uplift and often connects us with others because as humans, obviously being tribal, we play with others and they, you know, like you said, with laughter yoga or shared values or, you know, shared activity, all of these things brings us closest together. So it's really, really nice to hear your definition of playfulness and I do I have to try some of the mindful origami and um, <laughs> it's something that I've I quite enjoyed in the past I was kind of a into Japanese culture of quite a number of years ago so I would love to do some mindful origami with you and I've been thinking of doing a workshop around sort of uh, mindful um, mindful and imperfect watercolors because the, the action of watercolors in themselves means it's actually very imperfect you can't quite control how the brush strokes are going to float out, how the the, the pigmentation of the of the oh. colors and the water is going to react, and it's just really nice because it's you can't control it, and that's I guess part of what you talked about earlier around sort of accepting what is and and surrendering into that that we can't just control everything we can accept things. So it's been a fantastic discussion, and I'm sure we could sit here and laugh and chat about this for a long time, but I know <laughs> that we have to bring things to a close. So the final thing I want to ask you is one tangible takeaway you can give the listeners that can be a permission you want to give them or a pressure you want to take off them i give you permission to practice mindfulness for just one second a day and <laughs> any more is a bonus so feel free to start really really small as i've emphasized before and it's not just because of we're trying to be lazy or because of we're living in a very busy world it's because of our motivation fluctuates a lot and so to be consistent in something to do something for even five minutes a day is quite hard, but you can start with a few seconds. That's something that requires almost no motivation at all. So I give you permission to start small, to fully enjoy, and to even not practice mindfulness if you really don't feel like it. Do something else. Do whatever you want to do, what makes you feel alive, what makes you feel good. So that's my, my little tip. That's a great, great permission to give people. Just start small let it build. And if you don't want to let it build, then that's okay too, that there's no must, there's no should. This is something we choose willingly uh, because it interests us. So thank you so much for talking about all these things. And where do people find you? I mean, you've obviously mentioned your 10 books. I will put a few of them in the show notes. (laughs) Where can people find you if they want to learn more about all of these fantastic things you put out? My website is shamashaladino.com, but I've also bought the the website mindfuldude.com. So if you can't remember how to spell my name, which I struggle with too, I think <laughs> I think if you go to mindfuldude.com, that will also go to my website and then you can find all my stuff from there. I love that. That gives us, I guess, a real insight <laughs> into the underlying humor and sort of playfulness and not taking yourself too seriously. You are quite a mindful dude, so I like that. So we'll make sure that we put both of those links in the show notes because that also means that people can spell your name when they're going to search for your books on amazon so that's good as well so thank you so much for being a fantastic guest and i look forward to trying the origami soon thank you so much been a real pleasure wonderful questions and i'm really really happy to have been here thank you brilliant thank you shamash thank you dear listener for mindfully listening to the end of this podcast episode i really hope you did but you know what that's also mindfulness in itself If you drifted away and you noticed that, oh, I haven't really paid attention to what they said for the last few minutes, that is mindfulness. Noticing the drifting, noticing your attention, moving away from the present moment, and then the act of bringing it back. Like gently tugging on the strings of a helium balloon, you can then bring yourself back to the present moment. So thank you for listening, and I really hope that you enjoy this podcast episode. I enjoyed it so much that I need to think of a reason to bring Shamash back again. So if you are listening, drop me an email on info at 
thethomasconnection.co.uk and let me know what you want to ask him more about. Maybe I'll get to bring him back to talk about other topics or to further explain some of the things he talked about today. So if you really like this episode, do also share it to someone who you think could benefit from listening to this to debunk some of the myths around mindfulness and learn some simple tips of what you could do to get started with a more mindful presence in the, in the moment. Right now, right here. If you enjoyed this kind of concept of mindfulness and meditation, and you heard what he said about relationships, that this actually can help us be more emotionally intelligent and tune into our relationships better, having better connection with our loved ones, then consider looking at my page for The Compassionate Couple. My new course, which is purely online, helping you to spend 90 days to build new habits for a lasting connection. The course includes mindfulness practices, compassion skills, communication, values exercises, and really, like I said earlier, tuning into the present moment of what's important to you, what's important to your partner, and what's going to help the connection between you grow. If you're interested in reading more about this course, go to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash the compassionate couple. Or again, like I said, drop me an email and let me know if you think that this course is right for you. You can book a free consultation with me of 15 minutes to just talk it through if this is going to be a good course for you and your partner as a way to learn to be more kind and compassionate with yourself as well as your partner. And until I see you next time, do take great care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.